Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 48, Urban Sketching, Finding Your People, and the Power of Food Day with Merrick Bisinski. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're doing well. Getting close to spring here, so I'm pretty excited about seeing the snow where we are uh, start to melt and uh, getting out and drawing and painting and being outdoors again. It's going to be uh, going to be good. I'm looking forward to that. So a few updates, and then we'll go straight into the interview with Merrick. So I've updated my shop. I've added a few more items. I haven't done the giveaway yet, which I mentioned in the last podcast, but I'm probably going to do that in the next week. I wanted to get a bit more product up in the shop before I started doing that. So once again, just follow me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm going to be giving away a couple of prints in both locations, probably in the next week or so. So I did uh, finish a links. Actually, it's uh, two Canada links. That was part of World Wildlife Day, so I was able to finish that uh, for that day last week. I, I thought it turned out well. I had some fun with uh, a couple of elements. I had to redo the eyes of these links. I think the top one I had to redo twice, and the bottom eyes I think I did four times maybe. So uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Just trying to uh, work on the size, the placing, uh, the placement of the eyes make them more cat-like. I felt at the beginning I wasn't headed down that route, but I think what hit me most when I finished it is is I got to do a big piece. I feel like I'm a little bit in, stuck in a rut doing the smaller sketches, and I really haven't done a large piece since uh, last year. So I've got a couple of pieces planned. I think I'm going to take that on and, and do a piece that's you know probably going to take me eight or ten, possibly more hours. Do something at a much larger scale, something around you know nine by 11, 11 by 14, in graphite. And uh, I've also got, I think, something of, of a similar size planned for colored pencil. So I think I'm going to do that. I think, once again, you, you kind of get stuck sometimes. And I feel like maybe I have been with the smaller sketches. And I'm going to do something larger. And then I'm going to, um, I've got a plan to do something that's a little bit more fantasy versus uh, the realism that I'm doing. So I'm going to try and challenge myself, I think, a little bit in some of the art I'm doing. So stay tuned for that. I'm trying to, I keep talking about doing live draws, and I've done a few. I think I need to be more, I guess, transparent with a schedule. And so I'm looking at setting up a schedule for both Instagram and Twitch. I think I'm going to do one Instagram during the week, and then I'm going to do another Instagram on the weekend. And I'm probably going to do a Twitch one evening as well. And I want to get into a bit of a regular schedule there. So if you want to join me and and draw together or whatever the case, uh, there's an opportunity to do that. So um, I'm not sure when I'll start that, but I, I want to make sure that when I agree to do it, that I'm committed to do it. My family's aware that I'm doing it. I, you know, I'd love to see you as part of that. So that's going to be coming soon. And on the whole kind of live draw bit, I am going to be doing a live draw with a physicist who happens to be a photographer. And we've done a live draw in the past. It's going to be around eagles, bald eagles. And what we did before is I used my iPad and did a real-time drawing as we were talking about eagles. And we're going to do the same thing again. So that'll be on YouTube and I think Facebook so stay tuned on, you know, I'll share that maybe on Instagram and Twitter once we confirm a date and time. And you can join us for that. You can ask us questions. Uh, you'll see me as I'm <laughs> drawing. I tend not to show myself, but uh, you'll probably see me in that case. 
we'll have a, a nice fun discussion. It was a great time last time. A lot of people showed up and it was a great opportunity to do kind of the sci-art stuff. So if you are a scientist or a researcher and you're working in a specific field around animals or insects, whatever the case, uh, let me know. It'd be kind of fun to do a little chat back and forth while I'm uh, drawing and, and we're chatting. I think that would be kind of fun. I love doing that stuff. If you are interested, just send me a note. You can do it uh, through either one of the websites at drawinginspiration.fm or mikehenley.com. You can uh, touch base and set something up. I think that would be fun. So the last point is I released uh, the second edition of my newsletter. That was a lot of fun. This is something I've taken on for this year, and it's been going well. I talked about uh, having a yearly theme, and I talked about my mechanical pencil that I use, and a few other pieces. I'm going to take some of those articles I've done, some of the larger ones, and I'm going to post them as a, a blog post on my site. So if you want to see it first or read it first with everything else, you should subscribe to the newsletter, which is available on those two sites I mentioned. So I think I'm going to be posting a few more articles on my blog just to kind of talk about what I've learned through the podcasts in doing my art and sharing that information with others. I know for you listening, I hope you're back every episode, but uh, some people are not and choose to consume information differently. So I'm going to try and get some of that into uh, a blog post so people can read it and take, the, take it with them and uh, kind of consume some of that differently even though the uh, the podcast episodes have great show notes, <laughs> which I'll highlight here at the beginning. For every episode, I do, do I think, uh, quite detailed show notes about items we've spoken about. And so I encourage you to check that out at drawinginspiration.fm. And if you hear something, which I do all the time, you hear, you listen to a podcast and somebody mentions something or a tool or whatever the case, and you're like, oh, I've got to check that. Don't worry about having to bookmark it or whatever the case. Just go check out the show notes. The link is probably there. If I've missed it, let me know and I can add it. But uh, in most cases, I catch all those um, notes, especially when we talk about uh, other artists and tools and locations and uh, some of the pieces that we discuss as well. So, so please check that out. It's a great way to follow up after the episode, be engaged and, and try and apply some of the stuff that we've spoken about with your current art practice. Let's, uh, I think that's it for updates. I'm going to uh, head into the interview now, and I hope you enjoyed it. It was a great conversation. My guest this week has been an inspiration for me on Instagram since I discovered him a couple of years ago. When I started exploring urban sketching online, his work and his style was one of the first to catch my eye. His wonderful use of the food tip and a fountain pen is almost magical to watch. While he does use watercolor paint at times, it's his use of water-soluble graphite that brings a sense of depth and soul to his depictions of the buildings and the people that surround us. To talk about his creative journey, it is my pleasure to welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Marek Bidzinski. Marek, how are you? I'm very well, Mike. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. I've been following you for some time on Instagram, and I think I discovered you probably through Captain Tom. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you're both very... Um, uh, prolific uh, urban sketchers. And so I wanted to have you on to kind of explore your history because you have such a, I guess, a unique journey in coming from where you were to where you are now. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit, but I also wanted to get into some of the kind of the, the meat and potatoes of it, the, you know, your urban sketching, how you do it, your tools, uh, you've taught it. So I want to talk about that as well. But I kind of want to understand where you came from and like, was art something that was part of you growing up? Was that something your parents did? Like, what was your exposure to art? And then kind of what did your journey um, lead to from there? Well, well, first of all, thank you for having me on, on your podcast. That's fantastic. I really appreciate the opportunity. 
back to your question, I guess art was always with me because uh, my mother was an architect. So that certainly um, put right away sort of, I don't know, a direction for the whole family. And uh, also, when I was a child, my parents, uh, my dad worked for car companies. And when I was a child, the whole family moved to Italy for a few years. My dad was working for Fiat, the car manufacturer in Torino. And I spent my time, you know, with uh, my mom and my brother. And we spent a lot of time going from museum to museum to museum and so on. She would just drag me through every single possible art gallery and any other beautiful place, which when you are, you know, five, six, seven year old, you don't really have much appreciation for. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, it's somehow accumulated in me. And um, I pretty early knew that I will go and follow my mother's footsteps and become an architect. It was rather obvious, certainly you know, already in high school, maybe even before that. So I was always good at drawing. Drawing was something that I loved doing, and I would do that a lot. And apparently, I mean, all parents tell you that you're good at drawing when you're a child, <laughs> yes, right? Absolutely. So I had that, uh, but then I had other people, and I just, I just loved that activity. And as a child, and um, leaping, well, a number of years forward, I love the same activity today. So maybe that sort of bridges it together. But uh, uh, yeah, I think the fact that my mom uh, was uh, was an architect certainly, you know, put me into that direction. Were you inspired by other types of art or comics or anything else going through kind of uh, high school? Was there anything with that that kind of drove you forward? Or was it, were you really enamored with your mom being an architect and buildings and structure? I think the building and structure were always around me. That's probably what interested me the most. Although comic books, of course, every child loves comic books. And uh, I actually... I, I, now that I think about it, what, that when you asked, um, I read comic books every single day, over and over and over, because um, after the few years I was in Italy, when the whole family returned back to Poland, and Poland was still in deep communist times. It, there were no comic books there. There was no fun. But I had a lot of comic books that I brought you know, back to Warsaw from Italy. They were all in Italian, of course. So I kept re-reading and rereading them. And that, I believe, kept my uh, love of language afloat. I did not forget that, uh, well, my language of, you know, my youth. I kept right. it on. And even today, when I speak with some native Italian, they say that I use expressions that they read 50 years ago in comic books. And they are no <laughs> longer used in everyday everyday talk but that's how i express myself so yeah comic books absolutely but uh, i think also you know being in those beautiful places that uh, that you 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 want to be and my parents would travel a lot we would uh, um we would actually go for a month uh, during the summer when the, the entire factory shuts down in august in italy and all the workers have a month off so then my parents would just grab my brother and myself and we would go down south towards Sicily or something like that, which is 1,600 kilometers far away uh, from Torino. And uh, I remember one time we went for 30 days trip and we slept on 30 different camping sites Wow! every single night 
because my parents loved to move that much. They wanted to see more and more and more and more. And of course, I get I got dragged along, but uh, I, in retrospective, I think it's it was great. That's awesome. So you became an architect. Yeah. In in Poland. Yes. When you go into school as an architect, right? Um, because I was in engineering. There's a component of engineering where you're drawing and you're creating. There's a component in being an architect where you're drawing and creating and understanding structure and all that. Not civil engineering, but architecture, right? Did you did that help foster your interest in drawing, or did it have any influence at all? Did you do more in your spare time because you had to do this other stuff for in being an architect that you maybe didn't want to do because it was part of the the school system, like? How, did you separate the two in what you wanted to do versus being an architect? So my take is that uh, being an architect in Europe is slightly different than being an architect in North America. An architect in Europe is more of an artist, an artisan, someone who creates beautiful things, sort of dreams them up, designs them, puts them together, presents them, but not necessarily builds them. It's a very different type of an approach than in North America. In North America, an architect is like a better builder. You know, that's really what what it seemed to be. In Europe, is different, my in my opinion. And I was sort of the artistically inclined type all throughout. And I had um, as part of my architectural studies, I actually had classes in freehand drawing. So not only I had to go and um, do them, but uh, more importantly, I actually had to learn how to draw even before I got into the university. Wow. Yeah. That, well, the, the reason is because uh, back then, under the communism, you know, the higher education was free to the workers, right? That was the concept. Uh, you just had to pass the initial exams. But because of the fact that every, every university around the world only takes a set number of students, uh, then you have to go and... Um, you know, fight with your competition. It's the same in Canada or anywhere else these days, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, except here you have to pay a lot of money. But uh, if you don't have to pay a lot of money, then there's a lot of other um, people that want to go and go in, and there's the competition. So my architectural faculty back in Warsaw and every other you know, faculty back in Poland at the time, they had exams for admissions. And the most difficult, by far, was the freehand drawing exam. Mm. That exam would cut out 50 to 60% of the applicants on just one in one day. It was incredibly difficult to pass that. If you pass that, you were pretty much almost guaranteed you know, that you would get there. And uh, so I had to, to, to teach myself how to do architectural renderings and drawings and all that freehand type of stuff in just in order to get in. Wow. And uh, then when I got in, I had an opportunity to perfect that more. Um, because again, uh, being um, you know, in a poor country and far back, they were no computers at the time. I mean, they were few, but I remember the AutoCAD version I was uh, using I could draw a circle that sort of lays down on the ground, but I could not have that same circle standing up uh, to represent, let's say, a wheel of a car, because it wasn't still technically possible. Right. That's how far back we are talking. So, <laughs> so therefore, uh, yeah, there were no computers. So we had to present our visions simply by sketching and doing uh, freehand renderings. 
So it was an actual very important tool to you as an architect to be able to communicate really in this visual mode with your audience or your client. And of course, whoever could do that better, prettier would win. Right. <laughs> yeah, regardless maybe of your idea, if it was rendered well, oh, um, yeah. that probably uh, cut someone else's eye. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just the superficial beautifulness of that and uh, would always win. So when you were, uh, once you finished uh, becoming an architect, when did this interest in something more, something for you in your spare time, when did that start? Well, I guess they, they were two phases to, to my urban sketching. And one phase was uh, very early when I was still in the in university. When I was going to Italy, I had to sell my watercolors to tourists in order to be there. That's really how it worked out for me because my parents could not afford you know, my vacation. They were managing to just get me transportation to the location and that's about it. And then, son, you're on your own. So I figured that uh, at that time when um, most of the well, all tourists coming in had the film cameras with them and that film camera only had 24, 36 shots, you know, the ones with the negative that you had to develop back home. Mm -hmm. The tourists would take a couple of um, pictures, photographs on sites, but they were never really sure whether those shots were any good or not. They could have been or they could have not been. You just don't know that until you develop the whole thing. And that's way too late for you to come back to the location right. and retake another shot. So there was a lot of interest then at the time in purchasing just, you know, artwork from the locals. I really wasn't a local, but I was there. I was sitting on the street. I was drawing what I like, architecture, old ruins, palaces, whatever you can see in, you know, in Florence, Perugia, Lucca, Pisa, all those places. I would draw what uh, I would see, what I liked. I, I was really drawing for myself. But very early, I learned that I can actually sell those pieces to the passerbys, mostly tourists from other countries. Mm. And that's how my, let's call it, introduction to urban sketching happened. So when was that, though? That would have been like in the 80s? Or? Yeah, it late, late 80s. Yes, okay. that was in the late 80s. Uh, that was inter actually interesting because uh, I ended up setting up shop in, in some um, different cities, you know, uh, in Umbria, in Tuscany. And uh, then I would just, uh, sitting in the same place, I would learn that different groups of tourists, or maybe different nationalities, they had different priorities and they would behave differently. So the Americans, they always liked anything in full color, always. Anything that you had in full color, you know, watercolors everywhere, the Americans would buy. The Germans would not touch that. But if you had something that was just in ink, Mm -hmm. Then they just go for that, or ink or sepia. And then on top of that, they were the Japanese you know, tourists, and they would come with those big 8-millimeter movie cameras, film cameras, and they would just stand in front of you and just take a long picture of everything that you had there for sale and uh, perhaps, you know, bow down and go on, on to their next location because they would right. only spend 20 minutes at, at that particular city. They were all very busy. And and so maybe we can, if the person listening doesn't know what urban sketching is, maybe I can ask you to maybe describe that to people if they haven't heard about this before. Because this is, it's not new, but it's, it, you know, back in the 80s, urban sketching, I don't think was known as a thing, but it is now. So maybe if you can explain what urban sketching is. 
Well, yeah, of course. It's uh, perhaps the term wasn't really used as such, right? Because right. Uh, yeah, especially as a registered, you know, term, it's um, it's it's a more recent phenomenon. But uh, really, being on location and sketching what you see in front of you, sort of representing the the things as you as you feel them, as you see them, as you can make a record of what is happening in front of you. It's a visual record, but you spend some time in there. So you're, of, of course, obviously you're impacted by the changes of light and uh, the people going through and um, a lot of other things. You end up learning the life of that particular space as the local live that life. And that, that to me is the urban sketching. It's just making a record of um, what you are seeing with uh, any kind of, well, tool, really, because, of course, at the time we were talking about some kind of a pen and pencil. There was no digital at the time. Right. And uh, you, just, you just draw. You just sketch what you see. And that's, that is what, to me, urban sketching was. I was also selling those particular watercolors later, but that's sort of on top. That's not the, that's not the point. I was really doing those drawings primarily for myself because I knew that I want to have some kind of a memory of it. Then it turned out that I can change that memory and trade it for a great lunch. So, of course, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you made some compromises. That's fine. My yeah. stomach made some compromises. Absolutely. <laughs> So, I mean, to differentiate this from like plein air painting, when you're urban sketching, it's it's quick. It, it tends to be quicker. It's it's obviously sketching versus painting. And uh, it may or may not include watercolor, right? So some people may just do ink. They may do ink with, and we'll talk about water-soluble graphite maybe later as well. But the way people do it is different. Like when I look at your work versus some of the other people that have been on the podcast and some people online, there's a very... There's such a massive diversity in what urban sketching is and how it looks. Mm-hmm. I think that's wonderful. It, it, I think it really does open up the opportunity for anyone to try this. And I, I just wanted to go back to, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but what was it about, like, was it documenting your time in a place? Did you like the interaction with people uh, as well? Was that good or bad? Because I've done some urban sketching and, you know, you spend part of your time, this is you know, the before times, before COVID, where you would answer questions and uh, people would ask you whatever the case, or they would want to know where they can find your work or that kind of stuff. Uh, How was that for you in interacting with people? Was it distracting? Was it it positive and reinforcing what you're doing? It's something that you have to get used to. And it certainly was uh, difficult. I know I had the additional push that I realized that if I can sell whatever I had on my hands that day, then I would have a much better dinner that evening and probably with a bottle of Chianti too. (laughs) So that really spoke volumes to me really quickly. But you are absolutely right. Urban sketching is any technique you want to do. The the key there is uh, just go out, sketch and be happy and uh, try to represent what you are seeing in whichever option that uh, you want to use, whether it's pencil, inks, colored um, crayons, whatever, black and white color, anything, grayscale values, it's all permissible because there are no rules to that. The only rule really is that uh, you've got to be happy while you're doing it because that would be the reason why you're doing it. And uh, I do that 
these days too. I mean, not not now with COVID, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. I I try to go out and sketch on location wherever I am, whether it's my hometown here or you know the, whenever we can travel somewhere. There's always something that you can draw and make um, a painting, a sketch, a record of just for yourself. I do that for myself all the time, and. Uh, that is what keeps me interested in urban sketching because there are no expectations. And the interactions with the locals, well, so I actually had a great interaction with the locals when I was selling back in the 80s because my very first client turned out to be one of the guys who works for the municipal police in Perugia. And, um, you know, he, he came and he purchased a couple of those little paintings. They were small. They were like a size of a postcard, pretty much. You know, they were mm-hmm. really tiny. And I was selling them cheap because I, you know, I wanted my bottle of Chianti. Um, so he came and then he came back after and he said, well, you know what? I didn't buy them all because I really can't. I only have, you know, so much with me. But can I take pictures of the rest? I say, sure, go ahead. Take pictures of the rest. He was a photographer. He had a... Uh, one of those, you know, cameras. I mean, a, a hobby, a hobbyist type of a photographer. But that was was interesting him. And we started chatting, and we sort of became friends a little bit. And he would be in that location for his walk every single day, and I was there every single day as well, trying to sell. So after a few days, he told me, "Well, you know what? If you ever had any problems with the local police, you know, just mention my name." <laughs> nice. Okay, fine. So. Of course, uh, one day comes when the Italian police, the Italian tax police makes a big sweep, you know, and gets all of uh, those uh, illegals effectively that were peddling whatever, you know, mm-hmm. um, on the streets to, to the tourists and then gets them all off the street. And, uh, and for, for a few of them, they actually decided to round them up and uh, investigate further. And I happened to be in that group of the ones that are unfortunately being investigated. So I, when, when I was talking to the Maresciallo, the Italian policeman there, okay. who was you know, uh, interviewing me, I just kept telling him, well, you know, I have a friend here locally and he thinks that I'm okay because I really don't have a product. It's just what I'm trying to sell here. It's really something of my own hand. You know, it's not really a commercial right. item. And I just kept telling him, and my friend says that, and my friend says that, and my friend says that. And he finally looks at me and says, Ma, but who is that friend of yours? And then I drop the name. And he just looks at me, shakes his head, goes to the back, and all I can see through the glass door is that he picks up the phone, <laughs> talks to someone not, no longer than one minute, puts the phone back onto the, the, you know, the, the receiver, and it comes out with all my watercolors that they have previously taken away from me, gives it to me and says, don't come back on Thursday because we are having another sweep. <laughs> nice. That's so, great. There you go. I got, yeah. So interestingly enough, I'm still in touch with this person, the, the wow. friend of mine. Yes. It's been uh, 40 years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm still in touch. And, and when I was there in his house four or five years ago, um, to visit him again, I actually recalled this whole situation, and uh, he said that he only had a vague recollection of it, you know, because I mean he's probably close to ninety by now, but he was yeah. very happy that he could help me then. And it turns out that back in those days, 
the city employees would be paid in cash. So he was one of the tellers that would actually give each one of those municipal policemen their monthly earnings every, okay. single, every single month. And if they ever ran short and they wanted a little bit of an advance, they had to go and ask Luigi for that. <laughs> and Luigi was the guy who told me, hey, if you ever get in trouble with any of the municipal police, just mention my name. Nice. Grazie, Luigi. <laughs> That's awesome. And does he still have your work? Oh, yeah. When I was there four or five years ago, um, he, he brought it out. Yeah, he, he brought it out. And he actually has more because I, I, you know, I sometimes I send him something. You know, it's just, I, I'm in touch with not only with him, but with, with his family, with his daughter. One of his daughters is artistic. Actually, she, she's running her own class um, in Italy. And she just asked me if I can do um, a Zoom with, for her students in Italian. So, yes, yeah, so we'll awesome. give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> so, Maybe I'll ask this now. When you, if you were looking at your pieces that you had done 40 years ago, what do you think you would tell your younger self about your style and what you were doing as an urban sketcher? How would you instruct yourself back then to, uh, in, in trying to move your, move your art forward? Like when you look at your art, you must think, ooh, geez, I wish I, you know, I should have done this or I should have done that. Oh, were you in the room? Because that's exactly what I was thinking when I saw what he brought, <laughs> brought out. Yes. It's like, oh, really? Is that me? Well, yeah, that's, that was me, you know, many years ago. But that was done for a different purpose. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of drawings for myself now, except commissions, but I draw a lot for myself. And uh, I find that liberating. This is probably the reason why I keep doing urban sketching, because I find the whole activity liberating. It just puts my mind to ease, and I can... Just uh, be in that happy zone, you know, the moment when you are just so overwhelmed but what, by your activity that you can just be entirely free and um, just concentrate on that one thing that brings happiness to your life. For me, that's any kind of painting, sketching, inking, doodling, you name it. I just love to have a pencil or a pen or anything else in my hand and do that. It, it helps me out. What do you feel you've improved the most with in urban sketching over since those original drawings that he had in his house? Mm, I think I improved in looking at the scene. And that is something that is often underestimated because we all sort of go towards the techniques of, you know, this stroke, that stroke, one type of brush, whatever brand of watercolor or None of it is really that important to me as the capacity of seeing things in a, a way that you can later recreate with your own little touch. Because that's what it is in us. That is, that's why we do art. We want to recreate it, but we want to twist it our own particular way. Otherwise, we would just take a picture, right? A photograph will always be much more detailed than anything a human can do. So... You have a full-time job not doing urban sketching. <laughs> um, and I just want to make that clear to people. This urban sketching thing that you're doing, this is all just in your spare time, right? And I'm wondering, for urban sketching for you right now, how important is that as part of your life? Like if you, for some reason, can't get to it for a day or two or three days, is it, does it start to gnaw at you? Do you have to get in and draw and ink something somewhere 
to keep it going. Like it is because you were saying it's liberating for you, but I'm wondering how critical it is for your mental health, for your, uh, you know, as a matter of winding down from a work day. How important is urban sketching now in your life? I think it's very important. I do that pretty much every day to some extent. I mean, sometimes I will not, but then I will have a day when I draw, you know, for longer period of time. Or sometimes I will have, uh, you know, um, a sketch outside and then I do something inside or I have a live over Instagram or something like that. So there's these interactions are going on and on. And, and I just like being in this artistic world together with other people. And thanks, thank goodness to social media and thank goodness to people like yourself, Mike, who are putting this, this art out there for all of us to see, to listen to. It's just reachable. It's so easy to get to. Yeah, I think that's what's, uh, and you were talking about your lives on Instagram, and we'll, we'll talk about that as well, because I think it is accessible for a lot of people. You don't need a lot. You just need a piece of paper and a pencil or a pen or both or markers or whatever you want, and you can just go out and urban sketch. And I think that's what's, I didn't realize what urban sketching was until, um, I think it was in 2019 that I realized what it was. And it was an opportunity for me to draw with fountain pens. And I was like, this is cool. <laughs> I'd love to draw with fountain pens. And it allowed me then to play with watercolors in a way that didn't seem intimidating. Because watercolors still freak me out. Like the, the way that they move on the paper, it just, I, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't really engaged my watercolor brain <laughs> in a way that makes me happy. But I find with urban sketching, it's fine. It's a bit more liberating in that way that you're not, you know, you're using it to, to add a bit more either warmth or coolness or something to a scene to help enhance it if you choose to go that route. And I, I think that's what's liberating about watercolor on urban sketching. So I, I appreciate the effort that you're doing in kind of moving this forward. So I'm going to throw it back at you and say thank you for doing what you're doing and doing the live draws um, on Instagram and then sharing the stories of all the other people that follow along because... There's a lot of people, like when you do these live Instagram draws, you are sharing the screen on, on Instagram because that's a feature in it, and you're sharing it with an artist from somewhere around the world, and you're drawing a, an agreed-upon kind of similar image. Yeah, that's the, often what at, we do. Yeah, not always, yeah. but often that's the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's at the same time, they're both urban sketching, but you have your different styles, and I just think it's just wonderful to watch these kind of blossom in front of you with completely different styles and then, then at the end um, they both look wonderful always and then everybody else who's watching along is doing it too and then you see all the diversity in that so just to see this one image created by you know 10 20 30 different people is just incredible and so I, you know I will link to your Instagram in the show notes so people can follow you and, and see some of these wonderful live draws because I think that if you if you just want to try it, it's so accessible. It's so approachable. And uh, I just want to thank you for doing all that. That's That's been cool. It's my pleasure, really. I'm having absolute ton of fun doing uh, the Instagram lives, especially with another artist. Because let's face it, these days, we, don't, we are not having too much fun uh, with COVID and the rest of that. And it's hard to find someone to, you know, it's hard to find an opportunity to, to go out and the time for it and so on. But if we can do it sort of in a digital way, 
it's not really urban sketching because urban sketching would be on location. That's the one big difference here, the differentiator. Uh, but when we do lives, unfortunately, we end up using a common picture, the same one that uh, you, know, you and I, if we are together, we start from the same picture, but then you render it your own way in your own favorite techniques, probably a pencil. I would end up, uh, <laughs> I would end up doing it probably with my, you know, fountain pen with the bent nib, the Fuda pen, and then we just go on from there, and it just ends up developing in totally different directions. And you can find how different the outcomes are, um, even though we start from the exact same photograph at the beginning, just as an inspiration. But then we're not really trying to copy it exactly. It's not, it's not an exercise in, in let's replace the photograph with something that is hand rendered and looks like a photograph. Not at all. It's a, I, I try to take as much of my liberties as I possibly can. And uh, your choice of uh, mediums sometimes uh, helps with that too. You said that um, watercolor is unpredictable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the options. You know, there's, you know, people do use different type of tools. There's one guy uh, who uh, he uses uh, a wooden stick. You know, he just puts it into ink, right? He's well known. He's from Malaysia. And uh, he just uh, inks, uh, you know, effectively uses a dirty, a dirty stick to, to ink wonderful things. Uh, there's uh, any kind of technique is being used for, for urban sketching, and it's all about what's, what interests you. Right. And we'll get into the tools as well, because I'm going to want to talk about that, because that's always, it's always a bit of fun. I know you get this question all the time. So we'll talk about it uh, because I think we've both used some of the sim similar tools and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But I, I wanted to ask you about the urban sketches. If you were to look at something you did 20 years ago or 10 years ago in Italy or Hungary or wherever you've traveled, um, what's that like looking back on an older piece? Uh, because it's like, do you get the smells and the sounds? Does that become a kind of a complete sensory experience for you as opposed to looking through photographs? Well, I don't take much photographs anymore. That's, I realized that uh, when I was going somewhere and I would take a bunch of photographs and then I would sit down and do the sketch, the only thing that I cared about was actually that sketch from that location, from that moment, because it's a record of how I felt at, you know, on site, and it's a record of what I saw and what I remember from it. And I remember a lot of things, how the lighting has changed, the truck that parked in front of me and obscured <laughs> half of the cathedral. Uh, you know, and I remember the wonderful things as well. One time I was, uh, I set up very early in the morning in this little town in Tuscany. And it's a small town, one of those towns that they call Borgi. You know, they said there's almost no tourism in it, uh, but it had two beautiful little churches, really tiny, one next to each other. They were only 250 years apart from, from each other, but they were next to, you know, like really there was a meter of a gap in between the two churches. And wow. I decided to sketch them up from that little piazza that uh, I was sitting in. And as soon as I, I set, start, set myself up there and I start sketching in ink, there's the first track that comes up and then the second one and the third one. And it turns out that this is the market day. And they use that little piazza for six or seven small trucks, not big ones, the tiny ones. Um, and they have, you know, cheese and fruits. 
and the local produce and everything else um, was on those tracks because that happened to be the day that they have the market. And uh, when they realized that I'm actually sketching, one of them moved their umbrellas out of my sight, you know, so I, they, they would not obscure this. I, I still had an opportunity to, to, to sketch, to finish my sketch with, you know, uh, and I met wonderful people that day. And I bought wonderful bread and fruits from them. And they told me which restaurants should I go to so I get the best possible local food. And this is what urban sketching brings to me. It brings happiness, but it also opens a door uh, to talk to someone locally that you normally would not have an opportunity just being a passerby tourist that shows up at a location, spends 20 seconds, takes a thousand pictures with, uh, the, with the iPhone and then leaves as soon as possible because the agenda for the day has eight or 10 more stops. I'm right. traveling the very opposite way now. I'm going somewhere and trying to breathe the air the locals breathe, smell and eat the food and uh, just get in the sounds of the location and their traditions and everything else as I possibly can. And this can be done best, in my opinion, if you're spending some time there making this type of a record as an right. urban sketch is. I haven't traveled a lot, but uh, I was in England when I worked in engineering, uh, I'm going to say 93, 92. And the thing I regret most is not having discovered my artist side then. Because when I think back of, of all the places I visited, I didn't visit a lot, but I, you know, Westminster Abbey and, and all these places, it was a great opportunity where I could have leveraged that. Um, and I just didn't know that about myself at that point. So I think if I ever went back, I would absolutely do the same thing. Now, I want to ask you, like you've traveled a lot. What's been your most memorable experience in urban sketching? Like in what city in one location has kind of left a real impression on you when you think about, oh, that was a great time? Well, certainly the symposiums that the urban sketchers are putting together. There is no symposium this year for obvious reasons. It mm -hmm. was supposed to be last year in Hong Kong that got canceled for various reasons. Uh, but the, the symposiums are absolutely crucial. The first one I went myself to was in Chicago, just next door to Toronto in a way. So mm -hmm. it was easy. The Urban Sketchers organization has those symposiums uh, every year for the last 10 years, roughly. Um, so that's, uh, of course, Chicago was uh, not that far back, maybe three years back. And I went to that one and I met a herd of people that were exactly the same as you and me, Mike. <laughs> Just sort of art nuts, artistically inclined, twisted their own particular way with uh, those weird habits of... Uh, preferring to uh, sit down and draw something as opposed to going to the pub and getting drunk or something like right. that. So uh, I met a lot of wonderful people. I'm in touch with a, a number of them still. Uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just what they call, I met my tribe. Okay. And uh, that, is, uh, that is probably the, the shortest way I can say about the symposium. The symposium is um, uh, an incredible festivity of uh, everything urban sketching, you know, related. You you learn, you you, you draw, you 
meet other people, you exchange information. That's one uh, thing about the, the group there, that everyone is willing to share. And uh, we have, we sort of teach each other a lot. And in some cases you had a person who was your instructor at the class in the morning, might end up being a student in your own class in the afternoon. And it just keeps happening. We are sort of revolving those roles and teaching and learning, learning primarily from each other a lot. And this is, it's all, it's, it's a wonderful type of a personality that gets attracted to urban sketching. Um, that's probably what I liked the most in it. Once I realized what urban sketching was, I saw the symposium and I've seen so many videos of people who attended the symposium and posted them on YouTube and elsewhere. And then I saw it was in Hong Kong. Obviously, it was canceled, but I was thinking, oh, man, I'm going to have to go to the next one that is on North American soil. So I, I'm excited about that. I do understand, like I've done urban sketching here in Ottawa, and mm-hmm. I did a, an urban sketch of the Shadow Laurier because mm-hmm. they were concerned about the addition and it having a negative impact on the look of downtown. So I went down and drew the Shadow Laurier as part of support of this. And it ends up, it made an impact. Not my particular <laughs> drawing or painting, but this effort made an impact of, um, you know, beyond, uh, in addition to other uh, initiatives. But what I found was when I went down to do that and meeting the urban sketchers in Ottawa, there's such a wonderful community and supportive. And this is before times, before covid but they were so supportive and interested. And, you know, there was a point it started to rain. And so there were people holding an umbrella over me while I was finishing my piece. And it was like, I felt like a movie star, like I just, just wonderful people. And I would have to agree that, you know, once you find your community, your like-minded focus, you can only get better. You start sharing ideas about how to do this differently, or what tools are you using? People were interested in the, um, I built a, um, James Gurney has a uh, um, plans for a, um, a little sketch easel. And mm-hmm. so I built that myself and people were really curious about what is that? How do you use the magnets? And, mm-hmm. and it's just all this kind of, what are you using? What is that thing? And it just starts to, you leave it and you just want to go do more because now you're enthusiastic, right? So I'm jealous. <laughs> of you with the symposiums because it does sound like an exciting experience and you and you taught at these right like you were giving out or pr- providing courses right yeah well i taught at the workshop that the chicago group uh, which is a very strong community of urban sketchers okay. uh, has every year there after after the symposium that they had they 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 have uh, every year those those workshops so i taught at those okay. uh, and uh, and it's a it's a it's an Teaching urban sketching is a wonderful experience as well. You know, it's uh, it it really doesn't matter whether you are sitting there and you are showing something or you are learning from someone else. There is this willingness to advance yourself, but also to share whatever you know with the, the other people. And uh, any kind of question can be asked, and all questions will be answered truthfully. There's it's not a competitive environment, I think. Most of the urban sketchers are hobbyists. They do that just for fun, in a way. Right. It's not that we are professional painters and uh, you know, your mortgage payments uh, depend on the result of your daily sketching session. It's right. not that at all. Therefore, it's much more at ease. And it, I think it, 
it attracts a particular type of people, as I said. So I absolutely love uh, you know the, the those folks. They are great. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. It almost looks like a like a bird watching group when you see the urban sketchers following an artist because it's everyone's doing their own thing, but there's always a bit of a leader who just helps to guide a little bit, right? Like, oh, look over there. Do you see that person over there? And just a little bit of a guide, but then people go back and do their own stuff. And I just yeah. think it's wonderful. Yeah. And there's never anything wrong with what you're doing. You can, you have the full freedom to do whatever you want. And right. the, the so-called guide ends up rotating because it ends up being, you know, different people have different interests, right? You like to do things in pencil. I like to do things in ink. Of course, you know, we are, while we are, have appreciation for the same form of art, we have our own little techniques that we sort of specialize in. That's, uh, that's, the, that's when you become a little bit perhaps of an expert in that particular little niche. Right. And I think when, when I did it as well, and I've seen this with other groups, and I've only been to like three events, and I wouldn't even say events, but just a grouping of people sketching together. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I actually went, when I went out east to PEI, I did some urban sketching, for lack of a better word, um, on the beaches there. So I was drawing there in an urban sketching style uh, while my kids were looking for a beach glass. Mm -hmm. But but what I think is really cool is at the end of a, like an urban sketching event, everybody takes their sketches and lays them on the ground. And they'll take a photo, they'll look and see who did what and how they did. I think that's such a great... I don't know. It's 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 like primary school. It's 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 just like everybody share your work. Let's see how everybody did yeah. today. It's yeah. so nice. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's encouraging. Really, yes. we we do that primarily because uh, we. I mean, if you don't want, to, you don't have to participate in any of that. You don't have to show your work. Mm -hmm. uh, but most people do because they realize that they if they show it, they might get some constructive opinions that they will it will help with their next. Uh, you know, sketch, or they can learn something from your peer. It's uh, and first of all, you end up making friends, and those are the ones that are really worth you know cultivating. That's those are the the human contacts with other people that are. It's just a wonderful thing to have in your back pocket. Um, meeting people all around the world, mm. uh, whether in person or virtually. At this point, if you if you were to go anywhere in um, around the world, really, and around the globe to any larger uh, urban center, any larger city, you can probably find an a USK group in there because so many of them have popped up everywhere. And um, if you need someone to tell you, hey, where should you go and sketch in, I don't know, Kuala Lumpur or something like that, they will respond. They will actually organize um, a meetup or something. Somebody will will tell you, hey, I'm available, I can come out you know, at that hour and uh, sketch with you just so you're not doing this by yourself. And as you said, you know, connecting with these people, connecting with the people that come by and look at your work, I mean, it could get you out of prison at some point, well, <laughs> or at least you, out of a police station. If you know Luigi, you know, you, if you happen, if, you, if, if local Luigi happens to be your first client, absolutely, by all means. <laughs> No, I, I, I think I asked this of Captain Tom when he was on, because uh, he he's a big urban sketcher here in Ottawa. And I'm wondering if the same thing happens to you where you're partway through one of your pieces. And we all have that kind of ugly stage of our drawing or painting or whatever the case, where it's like, you know, people, early on you can see it's a rough sketch and people, you know, will appreciate it's early. And then the end part, obviously it looks really good, but there's that part in the middle where it gets kind of ugly and things are half-baked and this and that. Do you ever get nervous about people looking over your shoulder and you just want to tell them, 
can you go away and come back in 20 minutes? It'll look much better then. Like, do, you, do you ever have that kind of concern or fear? Or I, I, I used to, of course, I used to. I was always concerned that whatever it sits on my lap, because typically I just sit down on a little stool and my drawing is uh, on the lap, on my lap, and it's uh, and it's usually a larger drawing, so it's very visible. I like like to sketch in larger larger formats. But back to your question, I was concerned often about how it presents itself because it's not finished. At this point, I figured that if they weren't really like liking it, they probably would not have stopped to look at it, to talk to you, to take pictures to just engage. So the fact that us, the artists, we know that we can do something better, that doesn't mean that uh, whatever you currently have in front of you, it's, uh, I wouldn't call it good enough to, to the passerby, but at mm -hmm. least attractive to the person that is passing by. And often, you know, they are, often they are local people. They, they walk there every day on their, on their, way to work or to the grocer. And they never really notice that if they you know, lift their head up, there is this fantastic roof structure or whatever else that you might be sketching that interests you. And mm -hmm. I've had that recently. Um, I went back to Warsaw, my, my city I come from, and um, I, I went to a location where I tried the urban sketch, well, really more than 40 years ago, uh, because that was at the time when I was uh, getting to the university. And, uh, and I wanted to sketch this wonderful church uh, that has uh, you know, the, the backside of it, the presbyterium. It's uh, on a big escarpment, and it's a fantastic structure. And I always wanted to sketch it. But the location to sketch that right below, there's a beautiful location, but it's like, like a it's a square and it's fairly busy. And when I was maybe 18 or 19 or whatever years old, I went there once and then I chickened out. I just figured that, you know, this is not a good place to sit here. They will see me. What if they pass by? What will they think? The rest of that. Mm -hmm. So that was many years ago. I happened to be in, in Warsaw just uh, last year and I had some time on my hand. So I went to that location specifically. I sat in the exact same spot where I tried to do this drawing many years earlier, and I, I pulled out my massive size piece of paper. <laughs> it's a half sheet, you know, 15 by 22 inches. And I just started drawing this church, which looks as grandiose as I remembered it. Just the trees got larger around it, but the church is still fantastic and fabulous. And I just did, did this drawing. And they were, of course, not too many people because of the pandemic now, but they were people still passing by. And originally, many years ago, I was concerned, if they asked me a question, what will I do? What will I say? This time, I was ready for it. Ask me a question. Ask me anything. I'll tell you everything. <laughs> I spent perhaps an hour and a half at that location this well, last November, and I had I don't know, a couple of hundreds of people passing by me, and not one of them asked me a question. Some took pictures, some took pictures of me, some took pictures of the church. There was one that walked by really quickly, then realized that I was sketching. So came back, looked at my, my painting, then looked up, realized, oh, yeah, there's a church there. Pull out your iPhone, take 
50 pictures in there and went away on her on her way but it just never happened you know i was really expecting to fulfill this um, i don't know the, the, this fear to to, mm -hmm. uh, to address the fear i had from many years ago of what will i tell them and i was ready to do that i could have told them a lot of things this is my city this is my country i can really speak to anyone about anything uh, but no one was interested and especially no one was interested in a negative way i never had that in all those years i've been sketching on the street in many places i never had a negative reaction i mean of course i'm trying not to you know not to be on private grounds or places that i shouldn't be at it's important how you place yourself when you're trying to do urban sketching because you it's you want to be comfortable so it's um, you should not be in the way of anyone else you can, you should be out of the flow of traffic um, you cannot be a nuisance to anyone else right things like that also you may want to position yourself so you have something behind your back maybe a, a lamp post or a bench or something just so people don't jump you from behind in a way mm -hmm. but uh, other than that i only had positive experiences in my all this time that i've been sketching along in well several european countries and here in north america it's always been good what's been the most favorite country you visited for urban sketching well, you know, Italy, it's the country I sort of almost grew up in and, uh, and I have fond memories of that. So that's, that beats everything, you know, by far for me. And I haven't been around to like the, the other competitive ones, you know, I've never been to France. So uh, for me, Italy is the location. And uh, of course, it has so many interesting things to sketch there. But uh, you don't have to go all the way to Europe to do that. When I landed in Canada 30 years ago, and I came from Rome, so let me tell you, Mike, I really was not impressed by Toronto no? in the <laughs> first week I came here. Not at all. But uh, after many years of living in this city, I actually started finding things that are of interest. And perhaps they are not, you know, uh, 500 or 1,000 year old, year old churches, because we don't have any of that here. Mm -hmm. But we have other things that we, you can go and make a drawing of, a record of, and whether it's you know the modern architecture or just other elements of um, whatever you see in your daily life. There are guys and ladies that are going around and they are doing drawings or the storefronts, for instance, or they are doing drawings of you know um, the smaller things that they you find in the park, you know the benches, the garbage, the the whatever else that you can find accumulated in uh, in our cities um cars everything goes there's no particular prescription for urban sketching as long as you see it and you can interpret it on location in any technique you want that's good enough so just go for it and you'll never go back because if you end up Finding the same spot that I am when I am sketching, that simply drawing makes me happy, then you'll probably become addicted to, to that uh, as I am in a way. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And I've looked at some of your work, um, and I've been to Toronto many times, and uh, it's amazing that you're able to find these, these gems, uh, dig them out from, from underneath the ground, and dust them off, and draw them in 
you know, this beautiful style that you have with the ink and the watercolor. And it does transport you. And I, I admire your ability to take what looks like just a normal house or a normal little church uh, in a part of, uh, you know, the big smoke and being able to to showcase it, to say, you know, there's beauty around us, whether you live in a, in a huge city that's fairly new relative to Europe or you live in a small town there is wonderful things to to sketch and to draw and you don't you know especially in covid if you live in an environment that supports it you can just stay in your vehicle and do it you don't necessarily need to get out um so especially in you know when it's cold up here <laughs> yeah but uh, absolutely you're absolutely yeah. right agreed mm-hmm. so i want to get into some of your tools because you were implying there that you don't use small pieces of paper and you don't use pads. So what is your preferred paper? You said 15 by 22 inch. You like well, large format? I like large. Okay, that's really how it is. So um, when I when I went to Amsterdam to the, the symposium there, I had a luggage that was, uh, half of my luggage was filled with uh, half sheets of watercolor paper, uh, which, <laughs> which probably <laughs> took about, uh, you know, uh, half of the weight allotted by the airline was just uh, watercolor paper. <laughs> Uh, so that you had was... to kick people off the plane because they couldn't yeah, uh, that, carry that much weight. That's funny. No, I just I just took less socks with me, right? Do I? I don't need right. more than one pair for a week. I'm not just kidding. Anyway, so uh, I like I like large format because large format gives me freedom. But that is really me. I like to have this capacity of making large swings with my arm, with all of that, and uh, represent what I see in a bigger scale. But that is me. If you happen to like small, tiny notebooks, sketchbooks, pads, whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. Just use whatever you like. I prefer the larger scale. I don't know how that is. I'm I'm definitely a little bit of uh, an unusual urban sketcher. Most of the, my my friends are are using something slightly smaller or much smaller than I do. But there's few other ones that are also using half sheets or even full sheets. I saw some ladies in California, you know, uh, today posted some paintings that they did using full sheet of watercolor, which is actually a hard thing to handle, technically speaking. Right. It's very difficult, yeah, especially plein air. Plein air is, 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 or, you know, sketching out there, it's, you have to think about your tools and you have to make your choices. So while I use large sheets of paper, my tools are very simple. I primarily use um, a fountain pen with ink and I primarily use, uh, well, mostly it's graphite. That's what I use. It's water-soluble graphite or watercolor, but I think I'm having better results when I just stick to just one color. And we've had a conversation back and forth. I think, uh, you know, I spent some money because of you in buying a new uh, fountain pen. Should I apologize now or do you wait for it? (laughs) No, no, I just, uh, it was, and I'm really happy with the purchase, but, you know, I bought a, um, so you're known as as a Fude guy. And for people who don't know, a Fude nib is is a fountain pen nib that, that is bent at an angle. Right. So it, it could be 40 degrees, it could be 55 degrees. Um, I think it maybe varies beyond that. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's it allows you to, and, and that's when it changed for me, because I was drawing with, um, I, I, I don't even remember the, the fountain pen I was using, but then I got a Sailor um, Fude nib. And when I realized that you can rotate it 180 degrees and get the really, really fine stuff, and then you rotate it 
180 degrees, and then you could alter the angle on the actual flat part of the food nib and change the width of the ink. It was like, oh my, this this is fun. Like, yeah, yeah that's and, how I find it. It's a, and it's it's really simple because you end up having just one tool, but you can get I don't know how many, at least five different thicknesses out of uh, that particular nib. The, the nib is a metal fountain. It's a typical fountain pen, but with a metal nib at the end. However, the very the very end of the nib, um, it's sort of bent forward um, at a certain degree at different angles, as you mentioned earlier. And uh, let's call it the foot of the of the food. And that foot ends up touching the paper at slightly different angles. And it creates either a thin line or a very thick line. And it also depends which way are you dragging it. Are you dragging it up and down or are you dragging it left to right or in any other direction? So the, the resulting line, uh, it's much more dynamic because it mm -hmm. keeps changing. It's not a uniform tool like, let's say, a fine liner micron can do. If you, if you use one of those fine liners that is like 0 0.05 or something like that, it doesn't matter what angle you keep it towards at the paper. It will always give you that line. More or less, it's always the same. It's, it's uniform. The FUDE right. is a totally different story. Every time you touch the paper, you're not really sure of uh, what is it going to be. And there is a, some kind of an unpredictability factor here, which is part of the fun. Of course, when you start using it more, then you end up knowing how to... Mm -hmm. You know, you're within a certain range in between the very thick, the very thin, and something in the middle. Right. And usually pair that with, uh, are you using the platinum carbon ink? Is that your waterproof ink of choice? That's my waterproof ink of choice because it's platinum carbon is very available here in North America. Although now there's two other companies, both German that are well known as well, uh, the Atramentis and the Rohrer and Klingler. And they have um, uh, their own version of waterproof inks that are fountain pen friendly because that's important. You should not put just India ink or any other right. inks that are non-fountain pen into your fountain pen. It will destroy it. Will it will gum it up? It will eat the guts of your fountain pen really quickly. So please don't do that. And uh, the pen that I bought because of you was the Duke uh, Confucius pen, which. Like when you compare it to the Sailor, it feels like it's a hundred dollars, like or five hundred dollars. It's got such weight to it, and it's large. I still play between the two because I like the Sailor because it's nice and light, and I find I'm I haven't used the Confucius enough to understand the capabilities of the nib because I find it's a little bit it's it's less forgiving than the Sailor, and I think it's just maybe because I've used the Sailor more. That but, might uh, be it too. Also, it depends on the size of uh, of your work because see, my large sheets are so large that uh, the massive nib at the end of the Duke Confucius uh, ends up being a pretty much a normal size line when you zoom out and you look right. at your product uh, from a certain distance. So it's uh, it's all about scale here. Um, that's perhaps how I like it. But back to the to the tools. So I would just go out with a, a sheet, the Duke Confucius with, a, with a, a waterproof ink, and then perhaps either some a couple of watercolors or a stick of graphite. And right. that is all that I require typically to do an urban sketching. I guess 80% of my, my work is probably done just with those three tools. Have you ever tried any of the flexible nibs? 
Uh, I actually did. I, I do have a couple of uh, flexible nibs from really old pens, you know, the Watermans, and uh, I have a Swan that's at least 140 years old because I actually wow. researched that. Um, it, it was bloody expensive, and I found it not that good for sketching, actually. It's great for writing, but uh, for sketching where the problem I have with a, with a flexible nib of, in a vintage pen, or perhaps even a flexible nib in a, in a modern pen, is that the flex primarily works when you are pulling down, right? On the downstroke of your writing, because that's mm -hmm. primarily what it was for. Well, um, most of my drawings, I don't really want to have the thick line on the downstroke of uh, my buildings. That's not what I am trying to. And uh, lately I'm, I'm having a lot of drawings where I don't even have like a vertical line at all. Everything is going at a certain different angles. So I find the food uh, which simply glides uh, over the paper and I can angle it different directions and get um, almost subconsciously different thicknesses out of it really quickly works much better for me uh, than uh, this uh, vintage Waterman that I have that I could probably buy five foodes with that, the, the cost of that. So I tried the flexible nib, not my thing, but that doesn't mean that you sh it should stop anyone else. If you do have a pen at home that you like, try drawing with it. If you're liking it, then that might be the tool of choice for you. And if somebody wanted to get a foodé nib, uh, what would you or a fountain pen with a food nib, what would you recommend as a, a decent, like it doesn't cost a lot of money, right? It's... They don't cost a lot of money. They are all about 30 to $40 US or somewhere there, sometimes less. Some are cheaper than that. There's one in China by made by here, I think, which is about $5. You can find them on eBay, AliExpress. Amazon has few. Um, I don't know where you got yours from. Anything that, that any place that sells fountain pens that are made in the Asian countries, Mostly China and Japan. A couple of them are from Taiwan. That's where you find them. Because the Fudanib was invented by those cultures for, to represent their, um, their characters in their alphabets. Right. Right? So yeah. it's all this, uh, this uh, fancy Chinese slash Japanese, whatever, kanji type of characters that is normally written with uh, um, a brush unnatural brush mm -hmm. can be replicated with a fountain pen that has the food nib or also known as bent nib. Sometimes they call okay. it calligraphy nib. So look for those terms. Okay. I'll provide links to all of those. Um, I bought mine, I think all of it through Amazon, but I'll provide links to all of this so that people can uh, reach out and grab one because they aren't a lot. Like the sailor's fairly cheap. Even the Confucius wasn't a lot of money. Um, and then just buying the platinum carbon ink, which will last you quite a bit, quite a long time. Oh yeah, and absolutely. and and the type of paper that you're using are you using like a cold press watercolor or hot press or what is your? Uh, I like myself cold press or rough. I like to have the unevenness in the in in the surface. But you know, it's again, it's a very personal choice. Mm -hmm. You might like the exact opposite. Perhaps you do because you do so much in graphite in 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 pencil. So it's a, for for yeah. So that's that might be. That might be the case. I just uh, handle um, the the rougher version of paper quite well. I don't really sketch in pencil much anymore. I just go straight to ink. Someone was asking me on a live just the other day, 
how do I start drawing? And so I had to think about it, but then I just looked at my lives, you know, and I, I just put dots in ink everywhere on the page and I hoped to hit the proper spots where the tower will be and where the cupola is and the rest of that. And then right. if I don't really guess it correctly, then I'll turn that into a bird <laughs> or something like that. And it's a, it becomes just part of the scene. So are you using, like you're using water-soluble graphite to, to kind of get the tone. Now you were saying you would prefer that or you that you're doing more of that you're doing, than you're doing actual watercolor at this point. Uh, is that... That's still true. My question with that would be, are you, when you're applying, because I just got some water-soluble graphite, I put it onto some paper and I dragged it around with a brush. I'm really excited about it, but I just haven't gotten back to playing with it. Are you applying it to the paper with the graphite, like are you actually drawing with the graphite on the paper and then applying water, or are you doing it off in a pan and then bringing it in? So I'm, I'm just doing curious the second doing option that. that you described, which is really... Okay using graphite as um, just the same way as you would use any pigment from a watercolor pan. So I use a, I transfer the, the graphite suspended in water onto a brush and I just paint with that. I just use typical washes. It's the same way as you could do um, with, a, let's say, monochrome type of a, a wash. Um, I just end up using graphite for some reason. And sometimes I'm not really sure why is it that graphite works for me better than watercolor. I think it dries a little bit faster. And one one thing that I found about graphite, when you go really, really dark, so it ends up being pretty much black, then graphite retains its quality of being uh, some kind of a suspended mineral or whatever it is. And if it's hit by a lot of light, then it will reflect some of it. So, you know, if you use ink, and you ink the entire page just with uniform ink, then the page will end up being sort of like dead. The, the too much blackness is not good, right? Right. Uh, well, I find with graphite, of course, you would not go with a full page of, of darkness, but uh, I find the graphite has this capacity of reflecting light to the eye of the viewer when it's really used in a very dense, suspended way. So uh, maybe that's what uh, keeps me going back to graphite. And it's just, it's just something different because so many people use watercolors and so many watercolor painters are so much better at it than, than I am. And I just found a particular quirky way of representing my monotone drawings uh, with some kind of a wash that's with a value, really. And that's right. all I end up doing. When you're applying it, do you apply multiple layers or is it a problem reactivating the graphite on the paper. Uh, you can go wash over wash because it dries quick and then you can just okay. cover it up and darken it. I don't think, maybe I tried to lift it once or twice. It does, once it hits the paper, um, while it's wet, you could lift it with a, like, you know, um, tissue. But uh, once it dries up, you're not going to take it off, especially not from the watercolor paper type that I am using. Um, especially the cold press or the rough ones. And once it goes into those wells, it will stay in those wells of the paper, right? The dimples right. of the paper. Uh, would be obviously very different if you were to use it on a UPO or any other surface that is um, very smooth and it can be um, reactivated. And I, I never tried on a UPO. Do you ever uh, come in with white gouache to highlight areas? Oh, I do. I do. I'm not a purist at all. So, okay. um, you know, um, and um, we all make mistakes or whatever else. Sometimes accidents happen. So um, I do 
love to to put a couple of touches of uh, white gouache when needed to. Um, I actually, this is one of the things that I carry with me. I have a small container of uh, white gouache that uh, just to add up a couple of things, just to add the spark right. in the window or a reflection in a, in a car, um, you know, something like that. What do you think, and, and so you've seen a lot of people doing it, you've done a lot of this yourself. What is, like, do you have a couple of pointers, common mistakes that you see people do when they try to do urban sketching? Yeah, I think one of them is when they overcomplicate their own setup. When we get so much into the techniques of what am I going to be doing and which particular tool am I going to be using for that? And rather than spending time on drawing, um, some might spend too much time on preparing their area and then I don't know, agonizing in between a choice of which of the eight versions of gray should I use that day? Right. Because so, much, so many of us are collectors of art supplies and we cannot stop from mm -hmm. buying that version and yet another version and the blue and the more blue and the blue in between as well. And then you end up having this problem like, am I going to use all of that? So my solution is I don't take any of it uh, with me into the field. When I go, I just have really the three things that I mentioned, paper, pen, and graphite with me. Well, of course, and you have water and a couple of brushes and whatever else. Water brushes are great for, for urban sketching too. They are very portable. Yes. Uh, but I find that sometimes people will um, overcomplicate on the sort of technical side as opposed to doing what to me is the most important part of uh, sketching, sitting down and looking at your subject intensely and deciding what is it that I'm looking at and what do I want to draw out of it? Because we don't really have to draw what we see. We are trying to just make an impression, some kind of a record of it, but you are free to see the scene any way you want to. If you want to interpret everything in some kind of a, I don't know, skewed way, go ahead, do that. If you want to change all the colors, do that. Why not? There's, there's no reason uh, for you not to do it. It'll probably be better than if you, were, if you were to simply copy what you are seeing in front of you. It's, uh, I remember once I, I went to this, to this uh, little location in Italy, um, another little town, and it had this uh, church, which was really dilapidated, really nice. And, uh, and it was sort of like a, in, the, in the middle of my scene, right? It was a really good point. But right next to the church, there was probably a private apartment or a building that was privately owned, and it was freshly renovated. And it had this hideous pink color on it, which I'm sure it ruined millions of pictures, you know, that tourists might have taken because <laughs> all you see on that particular photograph is the pink from that building. Well, I decided to actually flip it around. I made the church sort of pinkish and the, the, the building next door, which was renovated, actually acquired the, the patina from the church. And <laughs> I liked my version so much more. And I even remember posting it and I posted both the, my version, which of course has the untrue colors, and then I posted a picture of it, and thinking to myself, I wonder if anyone will actually notice that I swapped around the colors, uh, because it's very obvious. And no one has actually mentioned that to me. 
So I figure everyone accepted the fact that my choice was probably better, was a better outcome to them too. Like no one complained, right. oh, really, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, right. why not? <laughs> if it's going to get better, then do it. Sometimes Mother Nature doesn't do it properly for us urban sketchers, so we got to fix it. And that was one of the, the examples that, uh, yeah, it worked for me. So go out there and look at what you are going to see and decide what is it that you are going to put in? What are you going to leave out? Probably that's even more important. What are you going to leave out? Because seeing things, and this is something that takes time for everyone to start seeing shapes and lines as opposed to seeing objects. And the, the, that's one thing, because we all know how a window looks or how a roof looks or a car looks in front of it. But if we end up drawing it sort of from our memory, then we will get back into the symbology of it, right? A car is just like two wheels, you know, and it has, you know, and we all know how a car looks. So we end up drawing it like a child. but this is not what the scene in front of you is. You're looking at that from some kind of a particular angle. Maybe you don't see you know, all wheels. Maybe you only see a part of it. Maybe there's something that's obscured. Maybe you don't want to show that. So many different options. So seeing things in a different way and finding techniques to explore your scene before actually your pen hits the paper, that's something that we should spend more time upon. Yeah, I noticed that uh, I was following one of your live draws where you were drawing people, and it was just lines and lines of people standing there. And it was kind of fun because people were like, uh, well, I think at one point I said, draw a cat. So you, <laughs> you added a cat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you turned some people into, uh, you know, you added suitcases. And it was just kind of fun to see that. And then I also saw one where you've been drawing vehicles as well. So I, that's interesting exercise to do that is where you have you know, you just decide to take a topic and just have fun with it. Just practice. Yeah. Adding people, and this is something that I was not good at before. Many years ago, I would draw a lot of architecture, anything out of straight line. But when it came mm -hmm. to drawing people, I would shy away from it. So I simply fixed it by drawing a lot of people. And now I have absolutely no no problem with putting in small figurines, small silhouettes of uh, folks uh, at the bottom of your scene, just so there is some life to your drawing. Because uh, sometimes I see, you know, sketches done by someone who might be more of a beginner, and they do what I was doing many years ago. They draw everything really accurately, but they will not include any of the, the, the street furniture, the trees, the the people, the dog that was sitting there, it's not there. It doesn't have to be there if you don't want it. But if you take it all out from the scene, then it becomes a little bit deserted. I, I love seeing the people that you inject in the scene because it does add a bit of a, a narrative to it. You know, you see somebody on a bike outside a cathedral. Are they, are they coming or going? Is there somebody else with them? Uh, you know, the pigeons are flying up from the ground. Is it because people are running and chasing them? Like, it, it becomes a bit of a story that you're telling. Uh, when you have that interaction with the architectural elements. So I think that's really good the way you do that. Well, that's uh, what urban sketching is. It's just telling a story. It's some kind of a reportage, you know, in, in one shot. But uh, right. you're spending some time and you end up captivating it. And you know what, Mike? I'm actually probably capable of drawing most of my scenes 
from memory now, even years later, because I spent so much time and it's intense time when I, when we're drawing out there, especially at the, you know in group drawing or at symposiums. We ended up drawing a lot. You know, I was I was in Amsterdam with a group of people and we were drawing four or five pieces every single day for a week, despite the 40 degrees temperatures that were there for that particular week. Uh, so you end up doing a lot of things that you love, you end up getting better really quickly, and you find out that you know you have to you have to strategize. If you're doing that much, you have to strategize. And that's when you you feel well i will only draw what's important to what i want to tell but it's up to you to decide what is it that you want to tell well, i think you do it brilliantly i i would encourage people to go back through all of your instagram to see uh, you know your stories and and your posts because there's uh, there's really a lot to learn there so i wanted to ask you as i normally do with all my uh, guests about homework and so i'm wondering if you have something that the listener could use to try and get into urban sketching or push their craft further. Do you have some suggestions as to how they can do this or what they could do to uh, to move things along? I have a play that, um, that I tried on myself a few years ago when I heard about this book by Betty Edwards, writing on the or drawing on the right side of the brain, I think is the title of it. Okay. And it's a fairly famous book. It's been around for quite some time. And she, in that book, she has this thing that she called contour drawings. And you might be, you might be familiar with the term already, but what, what she's trying to say in that book is that if we spend more time looking at our subjects and analyzing them, then we actually are able to draw them even with just one long continuous line. And that is the play that I sort of, I read that and I said, really? Nah, impossible. Well, guess what? Absolutely possible. Recently, I was in Warsaw and I did a full drawing, a one foot by two feet drawing of um, a luxury hotel with multiple windows in that and the ground and the, and the panorama behind it. All of it was done with just one line. I just started in the upper right corner, just kept going down, down, down. And this is the concept is that you just go and you draw a little bit and then you look at your at your scene and you draw a, but you don't lift the pen from the paper. So wherever you stop, leave it there. If you're if you're using some kind of a fine liner or something like that, it may give you that little dot of uh, pigment that get gets absorbed by the paper in there, but that's fine. And you just go on and you'll move your pen and you look again. And this way you sort of build up your scene, but only using one line, or if you want to use two or three or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, the game is not in drawing everything with one line. The game is in trying to train your brain in seeing things differently than we know how they are. And from every different angle that you are at, you got to observe things. And then when you, let's say we are in front of a, some kind of a building that has you know, a couple of floors and it has windows, rows of windows, you'll end up not drawing all of them because you, all you need to do is maybe one row of verticals and maybe one row of horizontals. And if the empty place there is there and it's framed by the outside of the building, 
then your brain will sort of make up for it and say, yeah, I can see this looks like a shape of a house mm -hmm. and it has windows here and it has this empty space that probably is full of windows as well. They are not drowning there, but our brain will make up for it. And that is what uh, I want everyone to try to exploit. And uh, Betty Edwards, actually, she explained that quite well, much better than I'm trying to do this now here. But she explained that in her book. And I tried it and it worked for me. It worked to the point where I'm sometimes just for my own satisfaction doing the same thing. Say, let's, let's do it that way. Let's do a contour drawing and start drawing something that I perhaps I would not be able to draw by myself many years ago. But now I have learned how to look at things better. I'm going to add that book to the notes. Okay. <laughs> I, have, I have not read that book. I've heard of that term. Uh, but I've not read that book, so I'm going to have to take a look at that. That's I think you'll be curious. very interested, really, because it's just it's 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 it seems it seems weird at first. Yeah. Uh, and I really I wasn't believing in what she was saying, but I tried it, and within the the first couple of tries, I think I got it. The point where I'm using it not all the times, but I'm using it often. I like to sketch fast. That is my pre my my preference. So I don't spend much time at um, that fussing around over individual lines. I will just whip out the ink pen and just go at it. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. You could just, just put another line on top of it and live with that. We're not trying to, to do a perfect world. I'm more trying to make a record of uh, my particular memory at this time. We talked uh, a couple of days ago, and you know, one of the points I had brought up is you know, I had tried a lot of the urban sketching I did, I would do as pencil, and then I would switch to ink. And then some of the recent pieces, I was going straight to ink. And there is something, I don't know what it is, but there's something that taps into part of your brain that is, it. there's a special place for going straight to ink. It's scary, and it's so much more satisfying if you can get that together just right to go straight to ink and put the ink down and know that you're going to screw up and make a mistake or two or... Uh, have a line in the wrong place, and then, as you say, you turn that line into a bird or something else. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it's there's something really, really liberating about going straight to ink. Where else can you do that? And it's and then you come in with you know you can come in with your the water soluble graphite and and add the tone and all that. But just going straight to ink is magical. I agree, it's magical. It's certainly a little bit more of a risk, no question about that. Yeah. But I have a solution for that as well. I I use loose sheets a lot of times. Because um, if you end up drawing in a sketchbook, and there's nothing wrong with drawing in a sketchbook by all means, you might have this concern that, well, what if I, you know, my first 10 pages are perfect, wonderful. What if I turn on to the 11th page and I start drawing in ink and I screw up and then like, you know, my sketchbook is now ruined, all of it. So if you have that concern, and I used to have that concern before, I think, maybe I still have it. I'm not sure if I have overcome that. And I simply decided to, okay, let's forget the sketchbooks. Let's use loose sheets. And um, if things don't go turn out well, I don't try to erase anything. I just throw it into the garbage or flip it to the other side and do it again and do it again. And this way you end up doing much more, I think. But the quality of your, well, you have certainly a higher output. But I also believe that there's a certain quality increase uh, in your in your 
abilities of 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 putting things to paper that only comes with the experience with the number of hours with the number of drawings that you do so right. i'm a big believer in sketch every day i try to do that every day if i can doodle draw go out sketch whenever possible depending where you are sometimes as you said yeah sit in your car draw whatever you can see from your car mm-hmm. sometimes it might not be the best scene i understand that but you know what? You'll find something if you want. Or add something that doesn't exist to or that scene. Something. Yeah, if you can. Or, you know, why, why not? The, even more. I mean, if you see that something is on the other side of the road, but you would love to have it in your scene, why not move it there? The f- photographers cannot do that, right? Photographers cannot move, um, I don't know, a light pole or a tree from, they cannot take it away magically unless they do some crazy Photoshop things. We can. Yeah. We can. We can readjust then the number of trees, um, you know, anywhere, just so your scene that you want to have the perfect uh, version of is as good as possible. So I want to ask you, when COVID stops, changes, and we're able to travel, where do you want to go first? Well, um, apart from family obligations, but if I go to just for a sketching trip, uh, it would be either the next symposium, wherever it will be, or it might be a trip to Belgium. I've been to Belgium for just only one day, and I'm absolutely in love with the place. And I guess I I happened to be in Belgium almost by accident, and I never knew how beautiful the, this uh, this country is. I've been to Amsterdam, of course, and the Netherlands uh, just next door, but uh, Belgium is different. And um, I just had an opportunity to, I just, could lick it really, you know, uh, and sniff it <laughs> really briefly, and uh, I want to go back there. Uh, so that's uh, one of the directions. But then the other typical destinations are perfectly fine, you know, wherever you can mm-hmm. go. I mean, I would love to go back to Europe. I would love to go to Cuba. Um, I I like to draw old stuff, a little bit decayed, sometimes a mm-hmm. thousand years decayed. But that's what interests me, and uh, those. Uh, grandiose buildings, not necessarily modern ones, uh, although I do draw modern things, especially here in Toronto, there is a lot of, well, pretty much everything is modern um, in North America in comparison with what you see in um, back in Europe. I have listeners in Belgium, so if you're listening... <laughs> I'm coming over. Ma- yes, Mary's coming over. Cl- clear, a, clear a location in front of the nearest church or a significant... Uh, structure and and bring him some bread and cheese and <laughs> you know it's it it was such a surprising uh, visit there that uh, uh, someone took me to a little town called Mechelen which is not even well known to tourists that i mean it's it's like a you know second class type of a a tourist attraction and i'm telling you mike i could spend a month in there just sketching that town, okay? Wow. And it's not even at the top of the of the list. So it's just uh, yeah, it's that's that's just one direction. But anywhere we can go. I mean, these days we are happy to just get get outside from our homes and get outside mm-hmm. of the cities that we are in. And right. hopefully this will be over soon, and we can salvage some of the summer that is ahead of us. Well, Merrick, this has been uh, incredible. I'm enthusiastic now for the snow to go away, which hopefully will be soon and uh, where we can get out and start drawing again. And as you say, uh, hopefully by the mid to a latter part of the summer here where we are, it'll become a bit more normal where we can be out doing this and people won't be freaking out 
that we're jeopardizing anyone in sitting out on the street and, and sketching. So uh, I wanted to thank you so much for your time. Where can people find you easiest? Is Instagram the best location? Instagram is the, is the pretty much only location that I spend time on now these days. So it sounds like I'm advertising for them. No, I'm not. I just It's just the place that I found that people are, it's all about their work, not about their persona. And that's what I like about it. So yes, Instagram. Okay, so I'll include a link to that. And uh, I'll include a link to some of the pieces that we talked about as well. And this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I think that people who are listening, who haven't tried different sketching, you now have a reason to do it. And I appreciate your homework as well. And I appreciate your time. So thank you, Merrick, for being on the show. This has been great. Thank you, Mike, for inviting me. I, I had a great time. And I'm hoping to see some of the sketches from our listeners sometime soon. You know, if you do have uh, something that you created based on this podcast, please send it to me. I'm easy to find. That'd be awesome. Yeah, make sure you t- tag Merrick in this, and uh, you can tag me as well. But for sure, let Merrick see your work because uh, we want to see more of this. And it's always exciting to see other people's work. As you say, it's non-competitive, and um, it's just wonderful to see uh, to see people spending time doing this. Absolutely, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed spending this time and chatting with you. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Stay safe, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Bye bye. Bye. Show notes, including links to everything Merrick and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 48. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 